Coming to you from the Kintech studio, it's Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you're catching up on podcasts, make sure to check in on hour one of today's show. We had Frank Saravalli join us, give his look at where the Canucks are headed from here and also some info on what the next steps are for the Canucks as they continue through another slow start to the season, a lot of discussion around the coach, and if that is, in fact, the next move this front office goes with to try mm-hmm. and send things in a better direction. Uh, it's hard predicting yeah. what's going to happen. The question is, what do they want to happen? And, you know... We really went through that in the first segment. I mean, we're all waiting, and let's just say I'm not optimistic on anything being imminent. What's interesting about this uh, this start to the season, Sat, it's like, and especially this weekend, because this weekend was supposed to be a weekend where Vancouver sort of takes over Toronto, you know? Yeah. Vancouver owns the big smoke. Hank and Danny, Bobby Lou going into the Hall of Fame. They're doing their induction speeches this evening. And all the talk about the Canucks this weekend was about the tire fire that they've been to start this season. Yeah, it's not exactly the discussion you want to have around the team. No. You know, so. Could be better. Could be oh, better. Well. Could be a lot better. It's not. Uh, looking back on uh, success of the past rather than success of the now. It's uh, become a tried and true tradition of this era of the Vancouver Canucks. So we had a lot of uh, incoming messages and questions on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We wanted to get to some of these, Sat, as yeah. uh, as people are curious as to what is the next step for this franchise. Absolutely. And you know what? Before we get to some of the trade ones, TR and Courtney sent a text in, and, and we've seen more of this sentiment about it. So, what? Why is the leadership of this team unable to set that standard? Why are they unable to be a team that does care about details and they can, you know, at least play to the level of their abilities and everything like that? And a lot of criticism rightfully falls on the leadership group, right? Yeah. And the person wearing the C wears it the most because you are the captain of the team. JT Miller is part of that too with his play and him being a big-time leader for this team. They all fall under the same umbrella right now with failing to provide the leadership this, this organization needs at the time. So TR and Courtney says, it looks like I'm the, I have to say, Bo is not captain material. I've played uh, the game my entire life for 60 years. I've seen it all. The captain has to be a vocal leader, and he is not. He keeps saying that he's trying to lead by example. How is that going? I do, I don't, I don't agree with the notion of you have to have a vocal leader or not, but the, the Sedins by, weren't necessarily vocal leaders, and that was the best best team in Canucks history. Yeah, and leading by example goes beyond working hard. Yeah, right, and and being a good guy and all those sort of things, and 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 being positive or whatever. Like it goes beyond all those things. It's also your details. Bo Horvat has had a terrific season scoring goals. He's increasing his value. Yeah, and you can like you, you can make a case they should have kept them over JT. All those sort of things. You can you can like Bo all you want. Bo is not a player, though, whose details are sparkling. No. So if we talk about who are the guys that set an example by lead by example, the example ain't great. No. So to me, it's not even necessarily about who's a vocal leader and who's a quiet leader. It's about you. if you are a lead by example leader, 
how are you leading by example? Yes, you're scoring goals. You're doing a lot of different things. You're a good guy. You work hard. You're in every situation or whatever. But are your details impeccable? Is that where that standard gets put in defensively, awareness, not cheating here and there, whatever it is? You know, all these sort of things that we talk about. This entire team is lacking in their details, lacking in their puck management, lacking in having discipline in their game. And every single player that's a leader has a big part of that. The cleanest players so far this season, there's two of them. One is Luke Shen making 850K. And the other one is Elias Patterson, who you can still pick apart here and there or whatever. But those are the only two skaters you can point to and say that, okay, their details, their commitment, that's right. That's where it needs to be. So leadership-wise, even if they're good guys and they have a lot of good qualities, they don't have enough leaders that lead by the example you want them to set. They're stat chasers. Yeah, I mean... To a certain extent, yes, they are stat chasers. Yes. I, and listen, they I'm, cheat for offense. They can be, yes. Their details aren't great in their own end. Well, Boudreaux himself essentially said these guys have to stop chasing stats. He said it himself. Yes. So, yeah. until you show me something different, that's that's what you are to me right now. Um, if you want even further evidence of that, if you want specific video examples... Uh, go check out Justin Bourne's article over the weekend that he did at sportsnet.ca. Yeah. And as you know, we just talked about, you can point out Horvat, you can point out Miller, you can point out even Petey in some of those yeah, video clips for sure. of how they were cheating for offense, how they were putting the team at risk of transition opportunities by not really committing to the details of the game in the moment. And... It, you know, that's it's one of the things that this team is plagued with right now. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to their leadership group not doing it and really setting that example through the lineup. Yeah. So, you know, it comes down to all of them and they haven't all of them deserve a a, a certain amount of blame for being that way and having been that way over the last couple of years. They all wear it. Um Demko, Markstrom before him have been able to clean up some of their mistakes in the past, but right now they have basically the league's worst goaltending or right there among the worst and it's not covering it up for them. So now you're seeing it for what they are and it's unfortunate, but it's how it's it's happening right now. Uh, okay, so let's get to some more of these uh, question marks. Um, Kyle and Maple Ridge. Do you really see this team being a serious contender within the Demco contract? I don't see it being possible for mm. at least five years when the cards management with the cards management has to play. So I'm fully on board with um, having necessarily essentially no untouchables and all that sort of stuff and only hold on to a couple of guys or whatever and, and everything like that. But I don't subscribe to the idea that it can't be done. I don't subscribe to the idea that there's only one way of making this team better and improving. And if you actually go through and look through history and look at teams that have been built to have success throughout the National Hockey League, they didn't just decide one day to get good, draft a bunch of young guys, and get better. Every roster that you see that's won a Stanley Cup, and you look at their core players, whether it's Sidney Crosby or Taves, or if you look at uh, the LA Kings with Kopitar or whatever it is, Look at the players they got, which you look at as the keys, and look at the guys that were already on the roster before, and look at the trades they've made afterwards to get to that point. The history of the National Hockey League is littered with teams like Vancouver making some trades and figuring it out in a couple of years. That can happen. Is it impossible? 
No. Is it likely? Perhaps not. Is it a difficult task? Absolutely. We see how hard the salary cap situation is. We see their lack of assets and draft picks and prospects, which makes it tougher. We see the contracts they have on the books, which are difficult to move. Those all complicate the situation. But I don't subscribe to the idea that it can't be done. You know what you got to do? Win trades. Yeah. Colorado won trades. Yes, they made some great ones and some good draft picks, but that's not a team that drafted all that well outside their top picks. They hit on their top picks. Outside of that, they missed up a lot of drafts. They made good free agent signings and they made good trades. I don't care how you get better in three to four years or three years or whatever it is, just find a way to get better. And it doesn't have to be the rebuild necessarily that people want it to be. I want to see a lot of changes too, and they are going to have a lot of changes, but then making some hockey deals could get them back on track in a couple of years. I feel like uh, the team the Canucks just played are, are an example of that, Sat, where after they moved on from Peter Shirelli, the Bruins made some pretty significant moves to their roster. Mm-hmm. You know, they kept Marshawn, they kept... Uh, you know, Krejci, Bergeron, and, and some of those guys, they had Poster not coming through but as a young guy. But, you know, they moved on Dougie Hamilton. They moved on Milan Lucic. They moved on Martin Jones. They, they made significant trades yeah. off of that team. And it became a reset for them because they realized we're in a bad spot right now and we've got to do something to switch it up. And they committed to... A, a different core or the same core, but with different pieces around it. And it's worked out brilliantly for them. Now they have a generational, uh, you know, a generationally great player in Patrice Bergeron and Marshawn took a step that nobody really saw him taking. Yeah. I mean, Pasternak became a superstar that uh, wouldn't, you wouldn't really find at the 25th overall pick in the draft necessarily. So yes, a lot of things did break their way, but, you know, if you're going to identify two or three players to build around on this roster, identify them and make sure they're the right ones. Everybody else should be in play to try and help this roster move forward in the next two to three years. Yeah, and it's, I think it's pretty clear who they are willing to trade. It's just a matter of winning those trades. Mike in North Van says, to make a hockey deal, you must have good players to trade. The Canucks don't have that. Well, they do have some good players. Yeah, And if you are able to get some cap space... Mm-hmm. that in and of itself can give you the opportunity to make an addition that makes your team better. You know, so yes, they don't have players perhaps to make the hockey deals you want, but could you just get the space you need to allow you to take advantage of some opportunities and get a couple of players? Because it's not just about drafting and developing. Yes, that's a huge part of it. But if you look at teams that build Stanley Cup contenders, they make a lot of trades as well. Yeah, You know what I mean? And, and that's where it gets built too. And this team has to do a lot better at getting picks and they have to develop a lot better as well. But there are pathways. If you are able to get some money off the books here and make a few smart plays. It's, you know, you look at the LA Kings, way they did their business. I mean, they traded Braden Shen who's 20 years old to get yeah. Mike Richards. Yeah. You know? And they ended up winning two Stanley Cups. But I mean, if Vancouver made that trade tomorrow, be like, are you insane? You're yeah. trading Vasily Podkolzin and like Karimaki for a guy who's got his massive contract he just signed. And you guys just missed the playoffs. What are you doing here? Like, we're not that good. You got Brown, who's old. You got Skidari on the back end. All these guys. Like, how good is this team? What are we doing here? Well, they didn't go get Jeff Carter. And next thing you know, they yeah. went to two Stanley Cups. And yeah, Kopitar had to become great for them. Dowdy was great for them. But my point being here. There's different ways to build a 
a Ex- superstar. There are. And all you got to do is win your trades, man. I mean, Colorado's to me, the best example is a team that didn't draft well, hasn't developed a lot of good players, but they, what they've done great is make trades and win their trades. Yeah. Just find a way to get hockey players, how, however you find a way to do it. They also hit superstar level exactly. players on their top 10 picks. For sure. But like building, you know, you have Rantanen, you have Landeskog, and Landeskog is a great hockey player, but he's more of an all-around type of guy. Yep. It's McKinnon and Rantanen and then Kale McCarr. Yeah. Right. Everything else around it, though, is it's guys they've traded for. Yeah. And signed as free agents. Yeah. Taves, Nachushkin, all yeah. those guys. It's it, there has to be a way of figuring out different pathways to do it. And yeah, saying tear it down to the studs is often the easiest one because it gives you a clean slate of sorts to work with yeah it's you know what it is it's the ideal starting point it's the if if i had an academic way of building this yeah what's my ideal starting point to build a contender it's to have a ton of cap space have a ton of draft picks have a bunch of assets have an opportunity at your fingertips exactly and and that gives me carte blanche to go out there and build a team in my vision but the reality is you're not going to be able to have that ideal circumstance you know and sure you try to create it you have the stomach for it as well but there are other ways. And I just think that we are being short-sighted when we say there is no other way of doing so. Because yeah. I think there are. And ultimately, what these guys got to do is win their decisions. It's like we talk about hockey games. You got to win games. You got to win your battles. You got to win your decisions. That's essentially what it comes down to. Win your decisions. Um, we'll keep getting into more of these texts. Uh, this one comes in. Could the Canucks package players like Besser or Garland to help give away Myers? Besser and Myers for a fifth rounder take back a expiring contract. I mean, I, I think it could help in season. I just look at the numbers and I say, if you're trying to do Myers and, and Besser together, that's 12 million in cap space, 12.6 million to be exact, almost 12.7 million. Yeah, nobody's got that kind of cash. And that's a lot of money to trade back and forth. In the off season. maybe those opportunities are a little bit easier. You can go over the cap. You have more opportunities. Well, think about that. all the money that was traded in the uh, OEL acquisition. Exactly. It's like, holy smokes. Exactly. Those are hard, to, those are hard deals to make. Anytime, let alone in season. Precisely. So in theory, yes. In season, unlikely. Um, I want to continue to get more in on uh, some of these texts from the people listening live. Uh, how about this one? Could you retain um, money on Bo Horvat and make a trade and get more? Yes. I think that if you're looking at Bo, for instance, and he's making you know 5.5 on the cap, if you are willing to retain some money... Mm-hmm. let's say half, 2.75, that should not only make it easier to trade, but it should increase your value in getting something back in return. And when you're not looking for cap space this year necessarily, it's absolutely something they should be considering if you're making the trade. It would be able to, I mean, it could open up more teams to the Bo Horvat conversation if you're willing to do that. So you could drive even higher price up as you get a few teams to really go in on it. Um, so, so it is an option that they could do. Uh, there's another one. Can Miller be traded with 50% retained on his current contract? Not the extension, just his current $5.25 million that is expiring at the end of this year before his seven-year mm-hmm. $8 million per contract kicks in that the Canucks gave him over the summer. Could they retain money on the 525 of Miller if they wanted to explore a Miller trade. There are there are mechanisms to do that. Yes. In the cap. There are mechanisms to do that for this year. The problem however is 
it's about fitting in the eight million the next year. Yeah, you know the issue wouldn't be so much about that this year; it's about that the next. And Vancouver's not making that signing to retain money on it and trade it s- six months later, right? So in season, that's the trouble. That's what makes that a bit more complicated. His no trade, no move clause clause kicks in next year. Yeah, but it does so after the draft. So you could have some time to move Miller. In theory, it does seem like a very unlikely scenario. Yeah. But as much as I say that, Sat, when Rutherford said to us last week, there are some players we may have to think about moving that in the summer we would not have thought of. Mm -hmm. That in the past we wouldn't have thought of moving a certain player, but now our thinking on that may have changed. Could that comment have also meant JT Miller? It could. It absolutely could. Um, again, like I just, it's possible. There, there's a reason they didn't give him a no trade clause. Yes. You know, I just think it's unlikely. It leaves the door open. It, it's, it's, it's possible. It's just unlikely for, for that to be the move that gets made. To me, for JT to get traded, they still want to get the value they wanted initially, which was that one prospect they wanted. And that's very unlikely now. Exactly. So you're probably not getting that. Um, so I don't know. So the thing is, he's already signed to a contract. You're not getting the, you're looking to get value. Yeah. You're not getting value in a JT deal at this stage. So I don't see it being a likely one. If you're looking to get some value, Bo's the guy. And maybe what, what, what Rutherford meant more than anything is Bo. Yeah. You know, that we wanted to keep him. We went into the season not sure because, you know, we have to be careful with who we sign. We signed JT and we have a little bit of assurance here, but we're not quite sure here. We really don't want to trade him. Now you're kind of like, okay, maybe we have to trade him. And sure, PD or Quinn, of course, like we can't sit here and say that it's impossible to get traded. The other guy you can consider is Demko if you realize your timeline's a bit off. But I just, I just have a hard time believing that Rutherford goes from praising Demko as being the backbone of the team and being the one thing he's most proud of and most complimentary of consistently since taking over to being the guy that he changes his opinion on and wants to trade. So it, it doesn't line up to me. Yeah. That, that's just what it is. Maybe it happens. I just don't see the pathway to it at the moment. Uh, this one, uh, Brando. So we are going to make a coaching change so we can still miss the playoffs and pick 13th or 14th overall instead of four to six range that seems like backwards thinking so brando doesn't want a coaching change to boost this team's place in the nhl standings i mean and and that's fair i think what management wants more than anything and i don't think and again i don't believe that the coaching change is necessarily their their go-to move here they would rather do something else than that um, but I don't know if it's about salvaging the season. Even Rutherford himself, when talking to the province over the weekend, one thing he mentioned was, even if we, we, this team can win five or six games, that can happen. But I think we're pretty, we pretty much know what's going on here and the change that needs to happen. So I don't think them they're trying to salvage the season, so, so to speak. I think, if anything, what they're trying to salvage is some stability in order to be able to be in a better bargaining position because right now they're just up against it. They don't really have many bargaining chips. <laughs> they have no leverage right now. They're playing poorly. They're capped out. Uh, they have guys on term. Teams know they're desperate. They're not winning. Boudreaux's under their hot seat. Like no, Nobody's trying to do Vancouver a favor right now. Mike and North Van, they should be doing nothing. Their hands are tied because of the Benning, boneheaded UFAs, and lack of drafting real players. Nothing will happen until they get Myers off the books. You'd think a second overall draft pick who's played in the league for over 10 years would have a little more poise and lead 
a bit more with good leadership. Um, is he talking about Myers there? I think Myers was like a 12th overall pick, not a second overall pick. Something like that. I'm not sure. Um, but Tyler Myers obviously has not been good enough. And I mean, good enough for the money that he's going to get paid and obviously he's struggling right now. That there, pair is a. I know they were split disaster. up yesterday, but OEL and Myers, the two players combined for $13 million, have been just. I mean, it brings us to OEL, man. Disastrous. Like, I don't know what's going on with OEL. I don't like. I don't know what the deal is, but but it, it's it's really bad, man. And it's not even just about hey, you, you you look like you're not skating well, but the decisions he's making, like that goal that Austin Matthews scored. I just. <laughs> I I wish y'all could see Sat's face right now. Oh my god. I I I still don't understand what he's doing, Dan. Yeah. I just don't understand what he's doing. I, I don't understand that. Oh, it's like the Ottawa play, the 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 Brinkat goal that opened up the the score in the Ottawa game. I, I like, what are you doing? It. I just don't get. I don't get why you put yourself out of position like yeah. that. I don't. I don't understand. So I, I don't get what's going through his head when he's out there. It's one thing to not even play well, which is not. It's like I don't get what you're doing. I I don't help me understand these decisions you're making out there on the ice. And especially in contrast to last year, where he was just like classy, making a lot of right decisions. Being a solid shutdown defender that yeah. you wanted more scoring out of, but weren't getting, but he played really well for the most part last year. And now, you know, the most shocking statistic I saw I saw today it, it, during my show prep, Oliver Ekman Larson is above water in scoring chances so far this year, mm -hmm. according to Natural Statric. Scoring and chances, was, not high danger. High ones, danger so. scoring chances. He's in the red, and he's in the black. Now. He's in the black. It's like fifty-five, fifty. Which I, I mean, I couldn't believe. I'm like, man, I don't trust these stats at all. <laughs> because this does not match up with my eye test whatsoever. Like, it's not a huge number, but he's just above water. You know, and, and that alone seemed surprising given how he's played this year. Because it, it is the decision making that is the most baffling thing. You want to talk about Jack Rathbone and Ethan Bear and these guys that are younger defensemen that are, you know, of a offensive mold. Mm -hmm. Sure. But like OEL is 32 and has had Norris votes in his career. Like he should not be the one that's just completely blowing his defensive coverages in zone. Well, like Marcus and Gibson's mentions, uh, I expected OEL's body to let us down, but not his IQ. Yes. You know, it's a, it's a great way of describing it. Marcus and Gibson's, um, <laughs> a lot of thoughts in on uh, OEL. Give him a week off. Play Burroughs and Rathbone. Can't get much worse anyways. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, this one says, we won't be able to win a trade. Uh, we'll just have to lose a few trades to open up cap space. That's fine. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's absolutely fine. Like, my point is you have to win the transaction. That if you're making a move and you're getting the space or you're getting a player back in return, win the transaction. Yeah. So if you're making moves to get cap space, what you're using that cap space for as a player who's helping you now, make sure to get the right guy. Win your transactions. That's all you got to do. You know what I mean? Like That's essentially what it comes down to. And have a plan that makes sense. You know, because I know a lot of people are asking about the plan. I'm sure they do have a plan. But, like, have a plan that makes sense and win your transactions more than you lose them. That's essentially what it is. It's uh, Canuck Central, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, uh, Don Taylor is going to join us. Uh, his take on what's happening with the Vancouver Canucks and where they go from here. The hockey shop in Surrey is moving to Langley. Their last day in Surrey is November 14th. They'll reopen November 19th in Langley. Details at the hockey shop. 
Canucks.com. You are listening to Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, the Can-Pro-Am is coming up. This weekend, the Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am. I'm lucky enough to be playing with Team Sportsnet. have been uh, part of uh, a lot of the fundraising efforts that have been going on around the Can Pro-Am. But want to let our listeners know that they can get in and support this great cause while also uh, getting in on a Ultimate Whistler Experience prize pack. Now, uh, you can find this at Canucks Autism dot com uh it's five dollars for one ticket ten dollars for five and twenty dollars for twenty the prize pack includes uh, i mean an incredible amount of things it is the ultimate whistler experience you get uh a, a a couple of nights stay, you get uh, a gift card to Il Caminetto, which is a fantastic restaurant, $300, two pairs of Vessi shoes, an Arteryx gift card, $500 value, uh, $600 value to Nita Lake Lodge, and a $200 value gift card to Scandinav Spa as well in Whistler. So you can uh, buy your tickets today. I will retweet it as well. Canucks Autism Network, a special Whistler prize pack in support of the Can Pro-Am, which is uh, ongoing this weekend. So you can check that out at Dan Richo underscore on Twitter. I'll hit the retweet button so that you can find it there. All right, let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Don Taylor. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon, Monday through Friday on Check TV. Donnie, I've made the analogy this Canucks team. It's like it's like watching the movie Groundhog Day, you know. And we're, we're like every Canucks fan is just Punxsutawney Phil living this uh, ongoing nightmare that will just uh, never end. The same show over and over and over again. Listen, Dan, I I, I don't I, I don't know what exactly what you're saying because I tuned <laughs> out after listening to that prize package. That is unbelievable. I, I guess I'm not eligible. Have I got that right? Oh no, you you can be eligible. Anybody's eligible for this uh, this ultimate Whistler experience. You just gotta oh you gotta find the raffle page over at uh, at the uh, CanucksAutism.com. Oh, I'm uh, I'm there right after this interview. That that that's just great. And and you know what? Getting back and I apologize for interrupting you there, but getting back to the Groundhog Day analogy, and it's not just like this season. It just feels like it's been years and years and years, you know, with the odd blip in 82 and. 94 and 2011 maybe that's not respectful but this just seems to be going on for a long time from the Benning era on onto this you're right it's just getting really tiresome and, and today on our show i think the canucks received the ultimate insult in that and i don't know what your inbox is like but uh, today with us we received a few people and th- you guys this is how it starts saying you know what i watched the lions yesterday I, I, I'm, I become indifferent to the Canucks, I, apathetic, because it's like you just said, Dan, it's just becoming the same old, same old, and we kind of feel like we're going through the same thing. We, we, we as Canuck fans, 
went through with the Benning era, and yeah, you're, you're, you're bang on. It's getting to be a little bit tiresome for people. It really is, and, and that's why there really is the sense of something is going to happen or something needs to happen, and you guys had Elliot Friedman on the show today, and, and you know he nails it as far as there's a sense of something's going to happen or something needs to happen with the team. That's how the players feel and how the coaches feel, and, and, and I completely see all that. The question is, when is management going to act on something? Because... I don't know if they're in a rush to do anything. They just let this kind of fester this whole time. And I know they want to make trades and all that, but are they going to bail them out by making coaching change this week? Boy, um, uh, you know, part of me thought maybe something would happen early this week. And then I'm, you know, I think to myself, do they really want to take the attention away from the Sedins mm-hmm. and Roberto Luongo and yeah. what's happening in Toronto tonight? So uh, doubtful they are with them. I mean, the part of the management group is there with them on the trip, which usually is a bad sign. And we're talking about Rutherford Alvin and Cami Granado were there uh, with them. That's usually a, a negative sign uh, for a hockey team when the GM joins them on a road trip. But this makes sense with the, you know, the Canucks, uh, all three Canucks or X Canucks going into the hall of fame. So that th- th- there is that, uh, you know, bail them out. I don't know if they would be bailing them out uh, with a coaching change, but you're right. It just feels like something has to happen because of all this, all this public criticism. And if the players get the idea that the management doesn't believe in the head coach, why would that not only, why would the players believe in the head coach? Why would the head coach believe in the head coach? Bruce Boudreau has got to be questioning himself at this point. It's just a, it's just a mess right now. So, you know, what's that? Nothing would surprise me with this organization. It seems same old, same old. So if they fired Bruce Boudreau tomorrow, it wouldn't surprise me. If he lasts till the end of the season, it wouldn't surprise me. Anything is possible with this group, it seems. Yeah. Too bad for Canuck fans. It's, uh, it, it, it's so frustrating because you're stuck in this, uh, this moment of limbo where it's like, well, do something, and yet nothing has been happening. And ultimately, Donnie, like this comes down to the players, right? Even, even if, you know, Rutherford – after that interview he did here with us last week, and then he doubles down in the province over the weekend, just in case there was anybody left that didn't actually hear what he had said, you know, do you not have a sense of pride in yourself as a professional? Like, do you not want to play for your coach that helped you uh, to a 106-point pace at the end of last year? Like, there still just hasn't been enough of a response from these players for my liking. Yeah, I understand that completely. And, you know, um, when you talk to players or people who have been in the National Hockey League, players or coaches, but especially people who have played, they will always tell you, especially in this day and age when business is such a big deal, it has been for a long, long time. Even if you don't believe in the head coach or the general manager or the organization as a whole, even if you hate the city you're playing in, I don't think that's the case with the Canucks, but I'm not exactly sure how they feel about management coaches. You have to think of yourself and your family. And if you're not doing things properly, if there's a little whiff of you not giving a 100%, what is that going to look like to other teams and your possibility of finding employment elsewhere if things don't work out in Vancouver? But So, so I, I, don't, I, I don't believe anybody's given up on anybody because I don't believe NHL players with this wonderful life would give up uh, on themselves. But I'm just a big believer in karma and feel. And, and, and positivity, and there's just none of that with the organization right now, and I think it's filtering down to the players. I'm not saying they're not to blame at all, 
but I don't buy I don't buy that they're not trying their hardest. I just don't think I, I just don't I just think that air of negativity is so thick right now. It's almost impossible to do anything well. Yeah, I do buy into a lot of that kind of being the case here. And the problem, though, is it's been something that's been a common occurrence with this group in this organization for a number of years now. And to me, something has to give. But what I think needs to happen more than anything is the mix has to change. And they need new blood in there. And they need some of the old faces to get out. And hey, maybe that's the best for everybody involved, right? They go somewhere else and they evolve and become the players they always thought they were going to be. And I just think they're they're at a point now where... Sure, you can make a coaching change or whatever, and perhaps you put you know Boudreaux out of his misery and gets out and he can do whatever else he wants to do here. But they really got to get going on on reshaping this roster, and to me, that's where that meaningful change has to happen more than anything. Yeah, and you know if they do let let go of the head coach, and let's say they do play well but don't make the playoffs, what does that sound like? It sounds like last year, <laughs> you know. So it's kind of the the same old uh, same old. It just seems like it's time. It's time to do something more significant than the easiest move, which is which is let go of the coach. Now, having said that, I, I'm sure in their private moments they must be regretting the JT Miller move because that makes everything much much more difficult. So now your one big chip to play is Bo Horvat, and I'm not so sure you want to get rid of him, but you might have to first of all because his contract ends up uh, at the end of next year, and you might end up getting nothing for him. And secondly. Like he just seems like a guy you, if you did want to build around something, he might be the guy that you you want to do it. So it just it seems they painted themselves in a corner with that that Miller contract. But again, Sat, nothing would surprise me with with, with this group. I, I yeah, nothing would surprise me. And unfortunately, one of the things that wouldn't surprise me is if they stand pat with the same group. It's just like I say, it's just a it's just a real strange mess. Well. <laughs> As much as Horvat has been, uh, you know, essentially the star of the season to this point with all the goals he's been scoring, uh, it, it does kind of work in their favor if they were thinking about moving Horvat this whole time. In that his his value is just continuously going yeah. up with each goal that that he scores because, uh, like Donnie, as, as Sat and I have talked about, you know, they, they weren't getting the premium asset that they really wanted in in a Miller exchange, yeah. but with Horvat. I think Horvat's got a, enough, you know, people around the league that really believe in him as a player that they might be able to get that premium asset they've been looking for this whole time. Yeah, I, I, you know, you, you're talking with somebody who wins faceoff, who's a leader, who scores goals, uh, seems to be good in the room. There's just a whole lot there uh, with him, and I think you have to think that, you know you hope for the Canucks' sake that more than one or two teams that become contenders as the days go by. Uh, says to themselves, we, we need this guy. There's some sort of bidding war where the Canucks can land a massive package of, of picks and prospects, and then maybe everything would be okay in terms of a focus and building for the future. But uh, So let, let them score away, and, and I, I would think there's a lot of people that wouldn't mind, as much as people like Bo wouldn't mind see see that happen. Yeah, I think that the point where I think that a few years ago, you would not hear a lot of people criticizing Bo Horvat or they wouldn't be seeing a lot of negative things. That's changed in a big way. And that's also because of the situation with the contract and the team having mm. a, a lot of struggles. But the, the other thing this team needs to do more than anything, and I get the bad contracts they have that they have to figure out, and those are hard to move, you know, Myers, mm. OEL, and all that sort of stuff. But we get to a point where they got to do something here with guys like Garland slash Besser, you know, because if we look at it, you know, even though they're guys that are good, they do a lot of good things and whatever it is, 
they have too many players that are the same here, right? You look at yeah. you look at like Kuzmenko and Hoaglander and and um, Besser and Garland, all similar type of perimeter types of players. And now you have guys that are signed to longer term contracts. Like they really have to reshape how this team looks. And if that means just trading those guys for for just cap space at this point, I think that's something they have to really consider. They may not be able to win a lot of trades, but are you willing to now just not hold on to guys and get the cap space you're after? Well, they've talked about getting cap space. It's it's pretty clear they're not, you know, they're not grabbing the talent they want. So they've talked about this new group has talked about cap space. So yeah. I think there'd be a lot of people who say, "Okay, you know what? You mentioned it sat a lot of the same players, perimeter types that can score, you know, sure, but you know, edge, I'm not I'm not so sure. So if you value cap space, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, you, maybe you get less bang for the buck at a Besser or a Garland deal, but at least you get that cap space that you can weaponize and use in other deals to try to get something for the future. I'm, I think a lot of people would be okay with that. They just don't want same old, same old. Yeah, and I, I guess that's the hardest part right now is this uh, this front office is just like stuck in paralysis almost because you know there's just not a lot of teams out there. Willing to willing to make some deals. Uh, do you like? Do you have any untouchables on this roster, Donnie, and and how you would try to fix it? Well, being ninety years old and having uh, you know <laughs> you know been around when they uh, came into the National Hockey League in nineteen seventy, they've never had a guy like Quinn Hughes. To me, he's and I know a lot of people would say Pedersen. I'll go if, if there was one. I'd go Hughes just because I haven't seen anything like him in this town at, from from the you know blue line since day one there hasn't been anybody uh who's who could skate like that who could move the puck like that um who could create offense like that i just think he's he's just so valuable maybe I, it'd be different if i was in boston and i'd seen bobby Orr and, and, and ray bork and charlie mcavoy but we just haven't seen anything like that here so for me he would be the one untouchable and, and I, I hope people understand that coming from me somebody who's been around for, for so long uh, like I say, other people might say other players, but for me, he would be the one uh, untouchable. You know what? What I think is very interesting, and I don't blame any fans for for having soured on pretty much any Canucks player and their upside and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's fair. And honestly, with the hype sometimes and the attention and how we talk about players, you know, maybe you were thinking that Pedersen was going to end up being one of one of the top two or three centers in the league. Maybe Quinn Hughes would be the best defenseman in the league. And if that's a standard you're expecting them to be, you're going to feel disappointed. Let down if they're simply maybe the 10th best center or 15th best center or if Quinn Hughes is the 10th best defenseman in the league or something like but here's the thing the Canucks have never in their history even had the 10th best defenseman in the league at the time on their team essentially right and that is still a really good player to have so as much as yes sometimes we look at say Pedersen and look at Hughes and say are they going to be the guys you thought they would be and hey it's fair if you want to talk about trading them potentially but defensemen especially here getting another guy like Quinn Hughes is hard enough as it is. Like, if you're trying to trade Quinn Hughes to get rid of him to find a perfect defenseman, you're still going to be looking 20 years down the road. Yeah, yeah. And and history has proven that, you know, again, going back to 1970 and, you know, the the difficulties finding a player like that. I just don't think guys like that grow on trees. And you can argue, talk talk all you want about what he does defensively, and he's not that big and all that. He's got the puck a lot. And, you know, last time I checked, you know, offense is a pretty good uh, defense. So I just, I, I just think he's, for me, just, just too valuable. And you know, even if you play beer league, you got a guy like that. It just means so much. And um, 
I, I just I, I wouldn't let him him go unless you were just presented with a crazy deal. But uh, he'd be my one guy. Uh, before we let you go here, Donnie, yep. obviously the Hall of Fame proceedings, Henry, Henrik and Daniel yes. Sedin, Roberto Luongo, seeing those guys there. And and honestly, given what's going on with the team and, and perhaps the fact that there's been so much discourse over the years about the Sedins, it doesn't seem to have the kind of the gravity that you would expect, especially with everything going on with the market. But it's pretty special, isn't it, to look at the Sedins and you kind of see it happen in those Hall of Fame ceremonies. You see Roberto Luongo being there. And I know we spend a lot of time talking about 2011 and mm-hmm. what was and what wasn't ultimately and everything like that. But as far as this t- moment in time and history, I almost feel like we're not we're not appreciating the gravity of the how special this moment really is. Well, that's because the Sedins are part of the management group. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that, yeah, maybe that is yeah. what it is. I'm I'm kidding. They're not the guys <laughs> in charge, and and, and I yeah. and I realize that. Yeah, you know what, guys. The other thing too with the Sedins is just their stick to itiveness, and I think people forget. And you know, this wasn't the case with Luongo. He came and he delivered for the most part right off the bat. But with the Sedins, I think people forget. And when you see those pictures from '99, they weren't in great shape. Uh, it took them uh, three or four years to adjust to the National Hockey League game. Uh, their their skating was questioned. Their toughness was questioned. Uh, their um, seeming stubbornness to play together at all times was questioned. Uh, there was a, there were a lot of question marks with them. They worked really hard at their craft. I think they had the advantage of pushing each other when it comes to conditioning, when it came to off ice training, when it came to everything. And I think the other thing with the Sedins, and here's where they get criticized a bit. And not so much now, but people forget that when the rules changed, and, you know, in 05, and the game opened up more, they took advantage of that. There wasn't as much you know, water skiing, hooking, holding, that sort of thing. Uh, the game became a little bit freer. The neutral zone became a little bit freer. And, and for people who want to say, wow, it was only because of that, not every player took advantage of that. They did. And they were able to win. Art Ross trophies, and in the case of Henrik, a heart a heart trophy, and get to a Stanley Cup final, and become a part of a really really good hockey team, become captains and assistant captains. Not every player did that. They worked really hard at at, at their craft. It was a great. It's a great story of talent. Yep, creativity, a unique unique story. But I don't think that people um, that 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 people appreciate their hard work enough and how they had to work really hard at their craft. Yeah, they had natural ability, but they got they got better with it. They learned how to use it more than a lot of players do. You see players come in, heck, in Vancouver, no names mentioned. There are guys with all sorts of talent. They come, in, come into the organization, this organization, and it doesn't work out despite a lot of talent. They came in with a lot of talent, and they improved on themselves. And not everybody does that. I just think it's a great, great story. People focus on the talent. I don't think they focus enough on the hard work that they, they did. Donnie, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this today. Uh, no, no problem, guys. I just I have to go here. I'm watching the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, ceremony, and yeah. they're just paying tribute to the greatest player of all time, the Big M, Frank Bohovlich. Forget, I <laughs> oh, love it. Forget how the Big M was the greatest of all time. There he is on my TV screen. I gotta go. All right, Thanks love for it, this, guys. Okay. See you, Donnie. Thank you. you <laughs> there is uh, Don Taylor giving a shout to the Big M, Frank Mahovlich. Yeah, fantastic. I. Uh... <laughs> You know, when I used to work at the autograph shop, I don't know if you know this about me. I used to yeah, work I've, I've heard okay. a story or two. I know there's a there's an infamous photo about your time. <laughs> yes. 
So one of the one of the first autograph signings I did was with Frank Mahovlich. And I just could not believe the size of this man. <laughs> He's a big man. I, I haven't seen him in huge. person. I haven't seen him in person, but I remember I saw a video once, and I remember uh, of him, and he was talking to somebody, and he shook their hand. Yeah. And you could just see, like, you see a bear claw just, just come out. Swallowed. Yeah. I went to go shake his hand. My hand just, like, disappeared. Yeah, like, yeah. What, what happened? Yeah. Where'd it go? He was, like, just a, a, a massive human and a great hockey player uh, as well. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to get to go home and uh, watch some of those speeches tonight, Sat. That's fantastic. I know. I'm going to go and check it out as well. It's going to be worth it, man, for sure. Uh, Sadines and uh, Bobby Lou, of course, going in, as well as uh, Daniel Alfredson as part of the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame class for this year. It's uh, It's been a big day tomorrow. We'll have the lead-up to the Buffalo Sabres game that closes out this five-game road trip. Canucks and Buffalo Sabres, it's a 4 o'clock puck drop. We'll be in for pregame at uh, 3 o'clock. Sportsnet Pacific will have the pregame show as well yeah. at 3.30. Yeah, we're on at 2 p.m. Yes, and we'll be on uh, with Canucks Central from 2 to 3. Irfan Gaffar will join us. So any updates on the direction and what movement could come, uh, you'll be having to listen in for that with uh, the best uh, sort of roundtable discussion we have uh, with Irfan Gaffar coming up on Tuesday. Up next is OT with uh, Caroline Lena and Lindsay. Lena and Lindsay. And uh, <laughs> with Lena and Lindsay. <laughs> Live edit. OT is coming up next with Lena and Lindsay. And you're listening to Sportsnet 650. <laughs>